0: Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey.
1: What people want to find out more than anything are what are the processes that successful or not successful ventures have gone through to get to where they are, it's actually about what is the mission of your organization and how is your business model, whether you decide to be a for-profit or not-for-profit, whatever, how is your business model actually consistent with the values and the objectives of your mission?
0: Thank you very much, Pamela, for taking the time to speaking to Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs today. It's a great privilege to speak to you and get some insights from a, a very privileged position, I guess, a, a unique overview of the world of social entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I know that the, the language can be a little bit tricky in social entrepreneurs and so forth, right. but maybe we can just call them social entrepreneurs or change makers for the purpose of the interview, sure, of recognizing course. that it's a slightly troublesome uh, term in, in, in some ways. And indeed, their team more than entrepreneurs and so forth. I'm just wondering what you think, you know, from the skull position, from from what you've been doing and what you see, what are some of the most exciting things, things that excite you about the world of social entrepreneurship and social change? Well, I I think that what we're seeing is a real movement that is not just
1: confined to a specific space or a specific group of people um, who want to change the world. But I think all of us have uh, increasingly, no matter what age group, an um, urgency about the way the situation in the world is today, the global challenges that we face that don't seem to, you know, go away, and in fact in many cases are being Accelerated or exacerbated with the shifting demographics and with, you know, uh, the looming, you know, problems, etc. And what I see that's really exciting is this recognition that you can be an entrepreneur wherever your career life take path takes you. That it is not this niche little group of people who, um, you know, have this special calling. To do X, Y, or Z and solve the problems of the world, but that in fact, if you happen to be working in a large company, and we're often seeing many large companies that are desperately trying to pivot um, their way of being because they're trying—they're struggling for survival. So, I'm seeing this kind of a. Uh, a trend towards looking at the world through a new lens of not just profit, profit, profit. And it's uh, very evident to me in working with students in particular – where many of them, I'd say the vast majority of of the students, certainly in the MBA at Oxford or at Columbia Business School, are not there to make money. And in fact, I'd go ahead, you know, and say that um, most entrepreneurs start out not because they want to make money, even if they do, but really because they're trying to solve a problem. Um, I think that one of the uh so that that's number one, it's very exciting is to see this sort of spill over. Um, and I think that that can also be threatening because many people who have sort of formed their identity around this niche of social entrepreneurism, um, may feel that somehow, you know, their you know, their space is being invaded or whatever when what we want to do is get the word you know, out as much as possible so that uh people feel that they can actually affect change wherever they are or it may basically make the world, you know, improve the world.
0: Yes, yeah yeah, that's very interesting uh, and what about the challenges in the sense that being entrepreneurial shall we say you know is it, challenging and it's relentless and yeah. nonstop and so yes. forth when you add on the 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 uh social dimension you know uh, or it's flat,
1: impossible it's, it becomes impossible, <laughs> yes. it's,
0: it's yeah. so much easier to set up a good old straight business yes. just about you know making your you know
1: your cash flow work et cetera et cetera but then when you're managing all of these other issues. Well, okay, we have these other very strong commitments. But, you know, people are managing. If you look at the movement of the B Corporation around the world, yes. it's really astonishing mm. um, to see how this has taken off. And it's kind of been almost, oh, thank God we don't have to just think about this. We can think about other things and people finding a real purpose in terms of running it. Because you've always... You know, we've always had this very, I don't know if it's Western or Christian or whatever it is, but this idea that um, money is bad, you Mm. know, and making profit is, you know, if you make profit, well, you know, mm, know, whatever. And that somehow anything social is holier than they are, does not need any accountability. I mean, we've gotten all over that, and I think that it's really exciting to see people saying, you know, as the B Corporation says, I don't want to just be the best business in the world, I want to be the best for the world. And I think that we're seeing a really exciting movement in that area.
0: Yes, one of the interviewees I spoke to talked about this idea of no margin, no mission. I quite like that, you know, that idea of, yeah. of you know, doing that. I mean, that's quite an interesting question, that and it's one that, I you know, comes up again and again but when I'm talking to social entrepreneurs, and even when I was in India, is this question of charging people. It seems to be a, a difficult one on several levels. I mean, obviously Obviously, you know, it's a difficult thing. Not many people feel comfortable charging, you know, poor people in the first place. And on the other hand, sustainability is very important. And I know, I think I read something that was about Aravind and how, you know, yes, I mean, what are the challenges? I mean, this sounds, uh, you know, like a great idea. And I spoke to somebody recently who's in Africa, uh, repurposing uh, all kinds of vehicles for the health market and so forth. And he was really struggling with this, who's going to pay and another person worked with mental health issues, just feeling that they could not charge at all. And I'm thinking, well, there are people out there who are doing this. It's a very good solution, but it's clearly not easy and not always uh, applicable.
1: Yeah, I think you're you're spot on. I mean, I think the following. I think that we have confused um, social enterprise with the importance of earning income. And for me, that's one of the problems with... The entire kind of trend that this is going is that somehow charities are different from social enterprises. And it's not about earning money. I mean, it's actually about what is the mission of your organization and how is your business model, whether you decide to be. A for profit, a not for profit, whatever. How is your business model actually consistent with the values and the objectives of your mission? And that's when you decide, okay, so I'm going to be working with most poor, the poorest of the poor, and I'm going to be addressing mental health issues, which are very funny. There are some things that money you cannot monetize, and there are sometimes you can, and that's where the key for me is. It's about innovation. It's about and it's not just in the latest gadget and stuff. It's how do you, within processes and systems, begin to look at different ways where you can deliver the kinds of goods and services, even if you need to depend on donors? Because that's where the importance of metrics comes in. You have to prove that you are delivering something that is really important. And a lot of times people get caught up in this idea of, you know, should I be charging, should I not be charging, blah, 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 when in fact, what is it that you want to accomplish, and where is it that, you know, that those pain points are, and then how are you going to finance that, whether you charge, whether you don't charge, whether you set up a for-profit, a or not-for-profit money? That's the solution many people are doing now, which is say there are certain things that people cannot buy, therefore we need to actually subsidize, but there are perhaps where our consulting services, or we we can, you know, make money in other ways and use that money to actually support Um, what what our mission is. So there are some things that just can't be monetized. And, I mean, and can't, you know, there's a great book by David Sandel, which is What Money Can't Buy. He's a Harvard, you know, Harvard Mm. philosopher. Mm. And I think he really shows the degree to which we have become totally corrupted in our societies around monetizing everything. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm, that's, you know. yeah, that's very interesting. And what about the funding side of things? I mean, and I've certainly spoken to some people who've got, you know, quite innovative solutions where they've split the company into part of the intellectual yeah, yeah, yeah. property. So it's a hybrid, various kinds of hybrids exactly. and so forth. Do you think that foundations and other kind of different funding alternatives, how well are they meeting the needs of social entrepreneurs now and how is that changing? I think foundations and other, you know, donors, the typical donors are
1: more and more cognizant of these changes. That are happening. Problem is that they are probably, um, I'd say, the most conservative in terms of okay, these are our programs and this is what we fund. We don't fund anything else. And I think that they have a very difficult time working outside the boundaries that they establish. I think they're more, they're more and more angels, more ventures, venture capitalists that are willing to, you know, impact investors, whatever you want to call them, who are really looking at this in a different way. I think that the needs of social entrepreneurs. Um, at different stages of their their evolution of their organization are all, as you know, very, very different, and they're going to need different kinds of capital. And I think there are just too few donors that are willing to go in for that long haul because the problem is that time is really the enemy here. You know, development and change takes a very long time. And whether it's governments or whether it's foundations or whatever – They want this all to be solved within a specific period of time, whether it be, you know, the remit of the government or whether it be, you know, the foundation board needs accountability, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that those, the time issue is one which is a huge challenge. You know, solve the problem of HIV in a a year, I mean, or solve, you know, the water crisis. It cannot be done. And so when people go in for funding they need, they really – when people are are thinking about investing, they really need to be in there for the long haul. And that is very difficult for most, especially these impact investors who are
0: sort of refugees from the investment banking camp that <laughs> want to find a soul, you know,
1: yes. and uh, and are like, oh, you know. And I sit on a couple of boards of a couple of impact investing, so-called impact investing, you know, funds, et cetera. And I'm just appalled. I'm appalled they just can't get that hat off, you know. You're like, guys, you know, look at what you're talking about. You're talking about a very, you know, a a 10- or 15-year horizon, and they want to see returns of, you know, uh, market rate returns. I don't know what they're smoking, but market rate returns in a couple of years, which is. I mean, there's this there's this epidemic of people who all want to be entrepreneurs. All of a sudden, being yeah. an entrepreneur is the coolest thing on the block, which is great. Yeah. Um, the problem is that they don't know what problem they want to solve. So I yes. get a lot of young people who come to me and go, or even old people, you know, I, I want to become an entrepreneur. And I kind of say, you know, that is the first mistake, business mistake Mm. you've made. You don't sort of become, you become, you have to really know what problem you want to solve. And it's not that, you know, oh, I want to solve a problem of youth, uh, imprisoned youth. Mm. Okay, do you know, do you know anything about prison, the prison system? Mm. No. Do you know any young people who have been incarcerated? No. Well, how the hell do you think you're going to go and solve an issue that you know nothing about? Out mm. and they don't have the and we in the MBA programs around the world have actually contributed in a massive way to accelerating that problem mm. because we've put up all these accelerators, incubators, business plan competitions, you know hackathons, blah 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 blah, and it's all
0: about okay, here's a two pager on world hunger in mm. Africa. Yes, yeah. solve it
1: in the on the weekend, yeah. and then you work with your team and you come up with a solution. That is so. It Mm. it gives the the false illusion that somehow these things can be, you know, solved in that way when the real incredible changemakers that I know have spent decades, decades trying to, number one,
0: understand why does this status quo exist,
1: whether it's, you know –
0: I don't know. Looking at a, the ecosystem of the people exactly. involved, the different players, who's getting
1: a payoff. The system, yes. exactly, and tweaking and perfecting and everything else. Most people don't have that patience. Yes. They're not in it for the long haul. So what they want is kind of like the glamour of, Oh yeah, I'm an entrepreneur but, you know, the sticking with it and that persistence and that drive and that stubbornness and the willingness to, you know, take setbacks and tweak again and that is just
0: Absolutely. I think that's a very, very good point. And you get then the proliferation of organizations who who are ostensibly looking at the same kind of issue, but instead of working in an established organization or helping to build other, you know, partnerships or something, everybody wants to have their own little organization and so forth. I mean, that, that brings up a question where I think is quite interesting is how good do you think social entrepreneurs in general are at transferring or within the, the whole area of change making, I guess, in terms of transferring knowledge and insights? You know, I was fascinated, I read something about that was the Duck rice. Oh, and, you know, isn't just it great. Check out Furuno. I love that. Yeah, guy. Yeah. Just a very simple idea, you know, not easily arrived at. You know, obviously, there's some insight there and so forth. But, in general, you know, and I've seen this with what I do is that I'm looking at social entrepreneurship very broadly, but people tend to think of their own issues, obviously, if you're in water or yeah. you know, sanitation or in, in education, and you're looking at other people in that area, but less maybe at, at other organizations that might be working in similar contexts and so forth. I'm just wondering what your experience is of that. Uh, I think that, you know, there's again, it, the issue
1: of ego is a very big one in the whole area of this kind of, you know, your your entire identity in yourself is wrapped up in your vision and what you're and what you're doing. And because of the fact that you know you've poured yourself into this, you think you're the only game in town, and you think you're the best. And so, and much of the information that is collected because of the fact that social entrepreneurial ventures operate on a shoestring, it's really basically anecdotal. It's not you know, driven by really, really strong measurement systems. And so they have this false impression that they're, you know, out there doing wonderful things, which they may well be, but for a very small group of people, and when you think about just the plain old economics of it, the inefficiency, great. So, you know, have this wonderful success story, but it costs you, you know, 50 million pounds <laughs> to, yes. to, to affect that. So I think that, you know, they're, they're In terms of knowledge sharing, they're getting – it depends on how far along they are. Mm. Um, I think that more and more we're seeing true innovations are happening in – um, in sharing and open sourcing there's just no doubt about it if anyone reads Stephen Johnson's where do good ideas come from uh, he basically takes an historical look at all of you know this idea that somehow you know these great geniuses came up with these these wonderful ideas whether it's Gutenberg in the printing press or whether it's Leonardo da Vinci or whatever and he shows that the greatest innovations have always happened in times where there are, you know the growth of cities the growth of what he calls liquid pools and that many innovations are actually built on the backs of many other innovations, yes. and that this isn't sort of your road to Damascus moment where you come, you know, while well, you fall off the horse and you have this lightning idea and oh wow, this is the solution. You, have, you know, people spend decades trying to do, and maybe. Maybe, in fact, some things, for example, like the computer guy, I forget his name, but, I mean, it was back in the 18th century that the guy started, really, really started working on the computer.
0: And it was way
1: before his time. Yes.
0: Sometimes the systems, or let's say the tools that, are, that should be
1: there to actually excel, the spare parts that should be there to accelerate the take-up of something, simply don't exist. And so... The more knowledge you begin to share among one another, the faster these innovations will grow. And I think that, you know, as I said, Johnson makes this brilliant um, case where he shows the evolution of innovations across, you know, you know, 500, 700 years or even before. And he shows that the open source, non-market innovations have just taken off. And you know, uh, it, it's really it's really quite interesting. There's a whole I can if you're interested I can photocopy that page and scan it and send it
0: to you. Yes, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, I've it spread is. some of his work and I I know it's absolutely really rich area that transfer of, of knowledge and I guess not reinventing the wheel because you know you're working on scarce resources and limited time frames and complexity.
1: Exactly. i so working forth. with people that, yeah. that can contribute to it. in other words, you know, what more it's this exchange that that's where accelerators are not even accelerators, but just, you know, open spaces for working and stuff are truly valuable because you're coming into contact with kind of this beehive of other people and that's what really gets you going, you yes. know? Yes,
0: yeah. Fascinating. It's all very, very interesting. Problem. I mean, maybe one question we haven't really talked about clearly as an academic institution and so forth, that social entrepreneurship is probably, it's not very old as an yeah. area, I suppose. What do you think are a few of the research questions or key areas that you think are interesting and, and what maybe where work is being done? Where work is being done is a lot – I think social entrepreneurship
1: is kind of morphing, certainly in this part of the world, into what we call social innovation because people are a little bit wary of the entrepreneurship kind of narrowness of it. Yes. And I think that what people want to find out more than anything are what are the processes um, that uh, successful or not successful, you know, ventures have – gone through to get to where they are um and i think that's that's one thing how how you know there's a kind of magic that people haven't been able to unpack in a way mm. and i think that you know how much does leadership really count mm. how much does you know and and then you see you know ventures that completely fall apart After, you know, the visionary is no longer there, et cetera, et cetera. And we're trying to get a grapple on how much does the individual contribute, how much does the team, you know, what does that look like, um, and, and, you know, where – What is the role of government in this whole area? Because government, of course, you know, it's the antithesis of being innovative and entrepreneurial, but it has a huge role of promoting. And when does it promote? When does it stifle? I mean, all of these questions are really, really key. Um, What is the role of those internal change agents within government that identify? I mean, I know for me there were always key people within these big institutions that you could tap, that could – really move the lever and that if they were on your side man things moved and if they weren't you were dead
0: yes yes that whole issue of successful partnerships and to what extent are these successful partnerships built on finding the right person in that institution very interesting yes absolutely Absolutely. you mentioned the question of failure in conventional mainstream entrepreneurship as badge of honor to fail and you know know, having some scar tissue from a few startups along the way but it's more controversial I guess in social entrepreneurship I spoke to Ian McMillan he was talking about this that you know if you set up an organization to help people But when that goes under, you know, there are significant
1: implications
0: for the local community, for the people who are reliant, and, you know, it's slightly different, isn't it?
1: It is and it isn't, because, you know, if you go under and you're an entrepreneur, you've got to fire people, you've got, you know, you've got, so I'm not, I mean, I think that that you know, many of the issues in entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship are very, very similar. And for me today, no entrepreneur has any business being in business if they're not very, you know, socially aware. And I think that that's what we're seeing the movement is that, you know, you can't be legitimate in the world today and be an entrepreneur and just focus on, you know, just maximizing profit at all costs. Society. I mean, if you look at the really successful ones, I mean, if you look at Google or if you look at, you know, Tesla or any of these, they're all looking at what is the purpose of what we're doing. It's not just about making money.
0: Yes. On that inspiring thought, (laughs) (laughs) Pamela, I'd like to say thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. Okay. Great, Virgo. Thank you. Best of luck. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make
1: sure you don't miss any future podcasts.